Tax time is around the corner, and it always reminds me of the same thing. I hate math. This industry requires us to be so good at so many things, it's overwhelming. Fortunately, we don't have to do the number crunching alone. Over at Yelp for Restaurants, the, let's call them math enthusiasts, can help you tackle the numbers that impact your business with cutting-edge software that tracks guest numbers, check sizes, and much more. Visit restaurants.yelp.com for more information on the tools that can get you off the computer and back on the floor. Now here we go. It's a place for people to gather, and especially during COVID, those didn't exist. So to me, it's trying to capture that. And it's harder maybe for trucks at times, or it's maybe easier in certain things, but if you can kind of create that atmosphere, that environment, people will keep coming back. And that's the beauty of what the restaurant world is to me. Welcome to Full Comp, a show offering insight into the hospitality industry, featuring restaurateurs, thought leaders, and innovators. Served up on the house. We're back with part two of our interview with Jim and Sabin from Cousins Maine Lobster. We continue our conversation by diving deep into the skills needed, best practices adopted, and the lessons learned as the Cousins navigated their way through the difficulties of scaling a restaurant concept to massive proportions. Let's talk about Barbara. You've both brought her up. How big of an influence has she been on you as entrepreneurs? A mentorship, I think, plays a huge role in anyone's success. What did you learn from her that has most impacted your business, your life, your role as an entrepreneur? I mean, listen, it's funny because I was actually with Barbara last week in New York City and uh, we went to dinner and she took us to a blindfolded dinner where we step into the dining room and you're blindfolded for the next two and a half hours. So She's always got these, as an example, you know, I'll get to these wacky, crazy ideas. But what it does is it cultivates culture and something wild and crazy. She's always thinking outside of the box at her young age still. But I mean, I think for me is like I look at Barbara and say, hey, does she know food or lobster or the food truck industry? No. And she's very transparent about that. When we did the deal with her, it was more about and I asked it on Shark Tank. I said to her and Robert, I go, well, kind of what would you guys do with our business? And Robert basically told me, hey, I'm here. You're there. I don't need to answer that question. And Barbara says, you know, infamously, I'll sink my teeth into this. I change this look and then I take you guys and put it here. This kind of marketing scheme of how to get your brand and presence out there. And I think that's what she's a queen at. She tells stories and hooks and pitches to make her business, the corporate group at the time and ours and others stand out from others, give you the opportunity to succeed or accomplish at maybe beating out others or being more competitive because you're leaning on some crutches that exist that she's tapping into. We always say everyone's got a story. You may not know it. You may not find it. You sure as hell most people don't tell it. So we learned early on from her how to tell the story, whether that be the quality of the food, the family business, the mobility, the franchise, the scalability, that warm feeling that you get through us and our mission statement of creating happiness through food and family. So I think for her, she's helped us a lot in the PR marketing space to basically not be one of those companies you see on TV or you see somewhere and then forget about. And I think that's where she certainly has highlighted our business. 
But again, the nuances and details of a food truck business or restaurant, that's not her. We found other people for that. So she did that. She gets you out and allows you a platform to tell the story of the business, which I think is one of the biggest attributes of Barbara and, of course, our business. Because without that, people don't know you exist. People don't know that you're franchising. People don't provide inquiries. You don't grow. Otherwise, Saban and Jim would need millions of dollars to go do an ad on major network TVs or spend on radio, et cetera. So she's been awesome that way. And I think a couple notes she always tells us is to be, you know, Saban always says it, be fearless. We always say have humility, but she told us that. And one of the biggest thing is just be prepared. We do it. She does it. She still writes her notes this day about what she's going to ask on Shark Tank, about before an interview, before a podcast, her little, like my mom does, chicken scratch on a piece of notepaper. Who does that? It reminds you and it's refreshing to say no matter how much success or celebrity or money she has, she still does business the right way. It's a good way to learn. Yeah. And I wrote down here, I mean, you hit one of them, the fearless. The fearless aspect is was a huge, huge part of it because when you're broke and a startup, you are scared. You are scared about hiring a $15 person or 100000 or whatever the thing is. But I think for me personally, when I first got on, I think it was one of the first calls with her or when it was the first meeting with her, I started saying things to her and she kept saying, what does that mean? What is that? And she says it in such a blunt New York way that it almost rang true to me. Like, I was like, what the fuck? How do you, you know, I'm thinking this is Barbara Corbin from Shark Tank. How do you not know what this is? What the fuck? Like, she just kept saying, like, what's that? I don't know what that is. What does that mean? What is this? And I've realized, A, it's just her and she's just a blue collar person. That's how she is. But she has no ego to say she doesn't know something or doesn't understand something. And the majority of people, when someone says something that you don't know or understand, you just go and shake your head and pretend you do. And you don't learn anything. So she just continues to get more and more intelligent because she asks questions. And they're not really the most well-framed questions, but they're just framed. And so that to me sunk in. I said, man, I don't need to be polished and perfect because I'm not. I don't need to pretend I'm this big business guy because I'm not. I'm just this guy that's doing something and I'm going to ask a million questions and that's cool. If you think I'm stupid, whatever. I'm trying to get better. Yeah, Jim does, but that's a different story. I'm getting better because of that and that's why she gets better. So to me, that's one of the biggest things she's taught me personally. Here's what I think. I think that success in the restaurant industry has very little to do with great food and great service. I have seen restaurants with phenomenal food and phenomenal service close because they are in the business of food and beverage. They are not in the business of business. By and large, there are so many of us in this industry that don't know business principles and believe this lie that's been told for generations that the restaurant industry plays by different rules and what works in other industries won't work in ours. And you guys sit as franchisors in the business of business, right? It's your job to figure out how this scales out, what it looks like in other markets and how to create a repeatable model for success. As long as the person at the helm shares your values. What have you learned? about the business of business? What are the essential elements of growing and launching a successful restaurant? My take on that is exactly what you said. At some point, you start this as a passion project. You start it for something two cousins to do and represent their home state. And then it turns into a little more. 
And then you take on this thing called the franchise and you want this family feel with franchisees because we do want that culture because people go to bat for us. We go to bat for them. We're all working together. That's the harmony we're looking for. But let's also not forget that while that is phenomenal on the foundation, there is the business side to it. We do need franchisees doing sales so that they're happy with their bottom line, so that they either want to scale or so that they're just happy. We don't want people to be unhappy. So when I think of that, there are the business principles and practices that we do need to. You can't just go, well, people, we, we all get along and everyone's happy. And we're selling lobsters and it's fun. What good is a 200 person line if you're not making money? The business, to your point, needs to stay alive. You can't just go, I enjoy what I do. I'm got my lobster claws on, but I don't make money. And therefore, the small business falls apart. So one thing, for example, that I will point to, when we started, we went into the market in LA in 2012. There was one truck there that was getting, we knew where they were getting product and we knew that ours was superior. They were selling lobster for like $13 a roll. And we should have gone in at $16 at that time, which is probably market. And instead we went in at the same price. And we did that to just say, hey, customers, you choose. We're not going to sit here and sell you. We're not going to do the gimmicky thing. You choose what you want. And we believe that they would come through our line, they'd eat it, they would never go to that competitor again. Or if they went to the competitor, they'd come to ours and never go back. And that is inevitably what happens, how we gained a lot of market share. But if you look at the business principle there, our pro- we almost degraded our product. We had a better product, a higher quality, a better, uh, more expensive to us, and we degraded it to just to start. So maybe it's a 50-50 decision, but now, over the last eight or nine years, when prices of lobster fluctuate, we work with franchisees to say, hey, listen, you're not going to run a business if you keep your lobster roll price here and not increase. Like You need to be profitable. And customers will understand that just as I do going and get a freaking black coffee at Starbucks that's gone up a dollar fifty over time. If I want it and that consistency and the quality or whatever it may be, whatever anyone's thing is, we need to do that. And so it's those harder conversations because our franchisees like, well, I don't want to hurt my customer base. I don't want my people to be upset. And I get it. But you also have a business to run. And I think that consumers, if you deliver with everything else you say and you're transparent and forward with why maybe we had to go up in lobster prices to make our business be here tomorrow so that you can still get a lobster roll. And that's really imperative as it is true for how we've built out with our franchisees, their own team. We say, Hey, you need to be an amazing franchisee to work for. That's one of the things we've certainly learned is that it isn't about paying people more per se. It's about being great people to work for because staff employees, they want to feel valued. They want to feel like part of the team and that you appreciate what they're doing, that you're listening, that you're watching and you see their successes. So I think that's a pretty big business principle, too, because they are the driving force behind all of this. Yeah, I mean, I think you say, what's the business, man? I mean, you have to be a business. You have to be a businessman or a businesswoman, however you want to phrase it. Like, you have to do your shit. You have to be able to hold people accountable. You can't be too nice. I mean, everything we've talked about up until this point sounds like a real big lovey-dovey thing. But at the end of the day, and we were lovey-dovey and we were too lenient for a long time years until we realize that doesn't work if you want things to tick. So there's a balance and it's not one and it's certainly not the other. It's like anything. There There's just a certain balance and a sweet spot. So you have to treat it like a business. You have to go in it from whether it's money or just running it the way that you want it to be run. And you have to do it very carefully and tactfully, especially nowadays in the market where like employee retention is so hard you know you can't just come at people and go hey this is the way it is do it that's how it was when i was a kid but that's not how it is now 
So you have to be tactful. You have to be able to communicate the whys and then hold people accountable. So I just think it's not one or the other. You can't get into this to just make money, but you can't get into it just to be a passion project. You have to be able to find your sweet spot and your balance. And then whatever happens from there happens. Maybe you have one, you maybe have 50. Who cares? As long as you're happy and successful, that's really what, that's what matters. So I coach a bunch of independent restaurateurs and the conversation that I have at the outset more often than not is I'm at 1.1, I'm at 2.3 and I will be profitable as soon as I hit 1.5 or 2.5. And my response is always, will you? Will you really? If the business fundamentals don't work in a business that's making over a million dollars today, Will you be more profitable when you make more money? Because what I have always seen is that as my revenues increase, so do my expenses. And if you haven't built a successful model that is profitable off the bat, it's very hard to make it profitable down the road, especially when you've made commitments to your customers around pricing and your brand is identified as X for you guys. What does profitability look like? And what is a non-negotiable for you? Is it, this is a brand that's going to make 10% year over year, 15% year over year. And if it doesn't, we need to step in. Yeah, I think for us, it's it's a great question because ironically, you know, I still watch Shark Tank and you see these groups come on and they have these crazy valuations and they go, well, tell us what you've done for sales. They go, 5 million. Like, whoa, holy smokes. And the next question is, are you profitable? And I go, well, not yet. But we might be, and we're going to be in two years, and we have this much debt. You're like, holy smoke. So sales, what would a sales matter if the bottom line doesn't count? For us with franchisees ourselves, we don't want to go into markets where we're doing less than a million dollars with a truck. We found that to be a spot that you should be at, you need to be at. If you run the right business, you will be at. And then your bottom line will be a positive one. And I think for us, what we see is you see this hockey stick curve. Once you get up to the one four, one five, one seven as a truck individual truck that is that's where then your payroll goes down you know relatively speaking even more right because it's the same throughput same staff for payroll on the truck to do that increase in sales so i think for us that's where we'd like to be and for us when you talk about it we got the best candidate we've had them before we've said no to because they're so nice and like well the people in this market meaning the consumers i can't charge uh, 19 dollars for lobster i gotta charge 12 i said well no then we're not going to award you even though we want to because you're a great person it won't be good for you you won't make money selling at that price. And we don't want to put you in that position, right? So those are kind of the things we look at for a truck. We've got our flagship restaurant in Asbury Park that's going to be a multi-million dollar unit. And I think that those are the type of places we look for, which are A-plus locations, hard to find. Food truck, hard to find locations. But the beauty of the truck is that you can go to the market. So if you fail one day, you can take it back and go to the next market. And you can rebound from maybe an off day. So those are kind of some of the metrics that we look at and knowing full well that your bottom line is going to be quite nice. And one of the things that's different for us is that you could do nothing different as a franchisee or as our corporate units and the price of lobster can go like this, Mm -hmm. right? And so then your profitability goes more like this. Alternatively, during COVID and inflation, really, they were hard years, right? The lobster price went astronomically through the roof like so many other things. And so maybe margins pinched a little bit. So that's kind of the ebb and flow we work with. And then you find this nice balance that you like to stay at as a franchisee. It's going to seem like an odd question, especially considering the context of the show. But what do restaurant owners do? 
What do you do every day? Raven <laughs> takes four naps. Yeah. <laughs> Napping is important. It's important to be well rested. Also golf. So yeah. Man, it's a good question. You know, and I think people have asked us this sometimes thinking we aren't doing as much as we used to. And I would say that we're doing more than we've ever done. We're just doing it a lot more efficiently. But for Jim and I in particular, we each kind of oversee certain staff members that are key staff members personally. So whether it's touching base with them, whether it's touching base with franchisees, whether it's touching base with each other, which is a huge, important aspect of that oftentimes we've neglected, holding each other accountable or creating or the creating the new, focusing on the future, focusing on the things. And that's a balance. We actually had a meeting two days ago and we went over this and we said, we need to be a little more balanced. It's not all about the future and how our app's going to morph and how this is going to then. And it's not all about relationships and doing more staff appreciation. It's like this sweet spot of all of them. And also knowing you're going to be putting out fires all the time. So we deal with days that are lighter and deal with days that are heavier. We deal with sometimes where I'm really, really busy and he might not be as busy or vice versa. And we're planning something right now that's nine months away. We were on the phone this morning for about an hour, something nine months away. So I think never taking your foot off, I said earlier, and in coming up with creative like PR ideas, that's like a huge important aspect of it. So what do we do? We do everything, literally everything. It's just that we're not the best at doing it. But I know we have people that on our team are going to do the best. So we talk about those ideas and then they go execute them. So most importantly, we're in communication with each other, which I think is huge. If you have a partner and you don't like your partner or you don't want to talk to your partner, you're screwed. I think one other note there is saying, well, it doesn't need to be the most aggressive push for everything new and better and better is saying, hey, just because we've had a little bit of success recently or you've grown doesn't mean that that's promised, right? And it doesn't mean there's not some competitor looking to come and take space or market share or whatever. So we always do say, how are we getting better or improving? And that doesn't mean selling more lobster rolls. That could be app efficiency or our website technology, ease of use for customers to find us. What is that service from A to Z like from when you pick up the phone call and find us or you go on our website to when you show up at a truck to when you leave? How are we increasing ticket averages through, again, maybe technology or maybe advertising because that can help franchisee health? How are we showing customers more of Maine? We always say we're the group that believes that we will tie customers to the supply chain from the ocean floor to where they're eating. So it could be through PR, but it could be through videos, it could be through our trucks, our restaurants, whatever it may be, trips to Maine. And I think that kind of shows more of the story and it makes customers, I think, feel better when they leave. Like it's this entire experience, creating an experience versus just saying, give me 18 bucks for a lobster roll. I hope you enjoy it. So I think that's always kind of looking forward at trends, whatever it may be, new markets we want to be in, people we want to do more business with, and things that are outside the box that are fun, that have nothing to do with a food truck or sales or whatever, but it could be a great little booster story about charity or family or whatever it may be. And this is an industry known for working hard for the sake of working hard. I'm sure there are folks listening that spent 80 hours on the line last week, and then they hear... YouTube with your $55 million company saying, you know, we spend most of our time visioning ideas, 
evangelizing the brand. And they're probably like, these guys are soft as shit. But this is how you grow your business. And if you weren't doing this, no one would be doing this. There would be no growth. What you're doing is the most important thing an owner can do for their business. Yeah. Yeah. And I think to oftentimes remind the person you just mentioned, which is something we think about is we did do all that. And we did do every one of those aspects of the job. And we did do it when it wasn't polished and pretty, which is multiply those 80 hours by a lot more. Because when it's when you don't know what the hell you're doing, it's a lot more difficult. Now it's polished and pretty. We understand how to do it. So yeah, we say this to franchises, it's our responsibility to them. That's our duty is to make this better. If we're not doing that, then what are we doing? And it takes away the challenge, the fun. So that is our duty. That's our purpose at this point. And while it's hard to get away from busy work because people like us like busy work because we like to do the shit that makes us think we're doing a lot. So it's not easy, quite the opposite. But I've been on Jim's ass a lot and he's been on mine. We're like, man, you shouldn't be doing this. What do you mean? I can do No, you should not. At this point, someone can do this and they can do it better than you, by the way. And that will free your time up to do other stuff. I think one of the interesting notes there is saying, if you're doing 80 hours on the line or if you're portraying us like you did, you know, say been taking his naps off in La La Land, <laughs> it's not that one is better than another. That's the thing. No one as an individual is better than another. We never look at it that way. Because to Saban's point, I was telling a story yesterday on an interview that I still remember a year and a half in driving from San Pedro at, after first Fridays or first Thursdays, 1130 at night back to L.A. and Saban's car because I didn't have one. I just reeked like lobster from being on the line. It gives me an immense amount of appreciation for everyone that's still in trucks doing this and on the restaurants on those lines. But I don't sit here and go, oh, we're creating jobs. But the more that we do do up here to create more units, then there are more jobs. And the beauty, I think, of our business is that that person that's on the line oftentimes is becoming a franchisee's key hire or key member or manager or that is going to oversee their growth to multiple trucks. So they, too promote and go up. And then they say, well, boy, I'm not on the line anymore. I'm overseeing four trucks in five different cities. Like, so there is that upward mobility if you want it. Some people don't want it. Some people don't want to do what Save and I do. Some people love that style. And that's totally cool. And I think we have a variety of those jobs internally. And I think it kind of like all works in harmony based on what you, what your skill sets are and what you like to do. The restaurant industry is filled with unspoken rules and traditions about how things should be done. How would you like to see our industry turn the tables to create a better future for all of us? I mean, listen, how would I like to see it done? I've referenced it a couple times. I think the authenticity that can come through when people actually care and tell their story, I think can make the restaurant industry a lot better. And if that weeds people out, then great, no big deal. It can make the, whether it is the burger that you described, it would make the burger probably more elite and it would make me more excited to go get the burger. I think that people just miss that boat. And I think that it just makes the industry a lot harder, makes people lose more money. And I think the consumer suffers too. If there were more people that actually, I don't want to sit here and say care, but like if they developed more time into the story and the passion, and that's reflected in the end result, which is the product, the food, which is awesome, right? Cool. And there's appreciation to more appreciation to the consumer. I think it'd be a that's 
the way to do it. I don't think people nowadays appreciate consumers. That's like the easiest, biggest miss nowadays. And we get it because we go places all the time and people just aren't nice. They're not, they don't thank you. We say this all the time. Like you come to our food truck and you spend $72 on lunch. Are you getting a thank you? Are you getting like a genuine, like we appreciate you? Because if not, man, that's a lot of money to not get that. So I just personally think like those are easy core things that everyone can correct and everyone can do. I'm not going to say anything like that's going to blow anyone's mind. But these are easy, tangible things that people can go, yeah, I probably could get better at that. It's not going to be next month when you start making more money. But over a course of a year, you're going to notice an improvement. I think for me, it's simply, I think about whether it's a dive bar, a food truck, a high-end restaurant, whatever it may be. I think that I always gravitate to places where like the restaurant industry, the restaurant world is, it's a place where like people like to gather where I like to be. And I like to be with my friends and my family or whatever it is, sharing a beer or wings at a food truck, standing in line. People see in our lines are drinking beers or breweries, like they're getting friendly with other people in line because it's time. Or if you're at a high-end restaurant, you're listening to a really nice atmosphere and music and having your food. It's a place for people to gather. And especially during COVID, those didn't exist. So to me, it's trying to capture that. And it's harder maybe for trucks at times or it's maybe easier in certain things but if you can kind of create that atmosphere that environment people will keep coming back and that's the beauty of what the restaurant world is to me that's jim and sabin from cousins maine lobster for more on the guys in their restaurant group visit cousinsmainlobster.com if you want to tell us your story hear previous episodes or check out our other content go to restaurants.yelp.com forward slash full comp. Thank you so much for listening to the show. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please leave us a review. A special thanks to Yelp for helping us spread the word to the whole hospitality community. I'm Josh Kopel. You've been listening to Full Comp.